0: Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito.
1: And welcome everyone. This is Cheryl Esposito with Leading Conversations. It's so great to have you aboard today and listening to one more conversation that matters. Today we are very privileged to have with us guest Juanita Brown, the co-author of The World Cafe and founder of Whole Systems Associates. Uh, Juanita, welcome.
2: Thank you so much.
1: We're so glad you're here. So
2: where are you today? I'm in the mountains of North Carolina, actually, in western North Carolina, and it's quite warm and spectacularly beautiful.
1: Oh, wow.
2: Is that near Asheville? It's right. It's about 40 minutes from Asheville,
1: but it's in that same
2: Blue Ridge Mountain area.
1: Oh, terrific. I'm here with my family. Oh, how nice. And the summer weather there, I know it is warm, but it's just beautiful.
2: Well, but it's cool in the evenings, and so, Mm. you know, it feels, it's quite delicious, actually.
1: Oh, a great word. (laughs) Quite delicious. Well, again, so appreciate you taking the time away from your family to spend an hour with us and talk about a subject that's very close to my heart, conversations. And and I must say, you are one of my real um, inspirations around the whole concept of conversation. And we're going to be speaking about um, the title of your book, The World Cafe, and what that is is, how it works, and why it matters. And um, so can we just start a bit with um, looking at just what is World Cafe? Well, the World Cafe
2: is an innovative approach to hosting both smaller and large-scale conversations. It's a quite simple idea that we... Came upon by accident, actually, in our living room when we were hosting a dialogue in 1995 around the area of intellectual capital, the whole area of knowledge management and mm-hmm. uh, the new economy. And it was—it's so funny how these things happen. A global movement that starts from your living room, you know? yeah. Um, It was raining outside, and we needed to put little TV tables in our living room in order for people to have breakfast, and
1: as we began to put up the TV tables... Our graphic recorder,
2: who helps record the conversations that we were having in this strategic dialogue, it was about leadership and intellectual capital, or leadership and the knowledge era. She came in and she said, oh, you know, those tables, they look really cute. I think we need to put some tablecloths on those tables. So she put a piece of paper, you know, that large chart paper, over each one of the tables. And I came up the stairs and I said, oh, my goodness, this is actually starting to look like a cafe. I think I'll put some flowers on the tables. She then came back and put little markers on the tables, just like you would in a real cafe, and wrote a sign on the front door, which is, our street is called Homestead, huh. and she wrote a sign on the front door that said, welcome to the Homestead Cafe. <laughs> and people came in, they, you could see them going, oh, a cafe, and they came in and they sat down, Eat, you know, eating their croissants and coffee and stuff, and we began to notice that they were writing on the tablecloths, Great. doing little models and ideas from what had been happening the evening before. And David and I, my partner, said to ourselves, "I don't think we should start the meeting. Normally, we would be in a large circle in a more traditional dialogue format." Mm-hmm we said, gee Wiz, this is kind of interesting. Why don't we just continue to encourage them to continue talking and drawing on the tablecloths and just keep noticing what's bubbling up and keep drawing Mm. on the tablecloths, which we did. We said, you know, we're not going to start the meeting, but keep focusing on whatever you've been talking about in relation to our core question, which is what is the relationship Mm. between leadership and intellectual capital. And... They did, very enthusiastically, and after about 40 minutes or so, someone raised their hand and said, hey, I want to know what's happening at the other tables. Why don't we leave one host at the table and have the others at our table, let's say there are four of us at a table, have the other three travel to three different tables carrying the seed ideas from that conversation into three new conversations. So if I'm the host, I can share what's on my tablecloth, and others are coming, three new people, to link and connect their ideas. Well, after three rounds of that conversation, we had someone else later who popped up and said, hey, I really want to learn, let's keep going, let's keep trying this. Well, after three rounds of that conversation, the room was almost lifting off its uh, oh, rafters hell. with excitement, with energy. We could see the scribbling on the tablecloth, the connections that people were making. And at that point, we did move all the tables back. We rolled a large mural roll in the center of the floor, actually, in that moment, put the tablecloths all around the edge, had people walk around reflecting on what they had seen, and then begin to sense what actually was truly happening in the midst of the conversation as a whole. Mm. We were amazed at actually the insights, the discoveries, the new ideas, and we sensed that we had stumbled onto something in terms of this pattern of conversation. And that's when... The World Cafe began, and this pattern of an innovative way of hosting what we then discovered was able, I mean, our largest one personally has been with 1,200 people. We know that in Thailand, for example, they have hosted cafe dialogues with up to 3,000 people. So this now, this approach to dialogue, which began in a group of 24 people and six tables in our living room, Mm you know has now been used in in many of its varieties from at the one hand maori indigenous rights in new zealand mm. to global marketing strategy for coca-cola you, you know i mean it is a way of hosting and convening that can be used in many many different kinds of situations and we've been deeply honored by watching what has unfolded here
1: it, it's fascinating that the the opportunity that you had to let this emerge as the, the facilitators of a process You know, and and really have the courage to say there's wisdom in what's going on here. We don't know where it's going to go, but let's let it take itself where it needs to go. Um, You know, that takes a lot of courage. Oftentimes, consultants don't have that kind of courage. And um, and from what you have done, this entire movement was born. Um, Just imagine if you had not trusted that.
2: Well, I think in that particular instance we were very fortunate because we were co-hosting with uh, someone from a large company in Sweden. And this truly was an exploratory strategic dialogue Mm -hmm. because the, the field of intellectual capital or knowledge management, what we now know today as knowledge management, had actually not even been named. And this was a group of interdisciplinary leaders formed to explore the emergent You know, and so actually I think that's part of what gave us courage, but I appreciate your saying that we did have courage because we could have done it in the traditional way, I guess.
1: (laughs) Well, absolutely, you know, um, especially if you go in and have an idea of what you want to have happen, so yeah, I think that's
2: very cool. (laughs) Yeah, we did have to throw away our design for the day, I have to tell you that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, you know, um, I'm wondering, is there a distinction between dialogue and conversation? Well, you know, there's
2: been a lot of, of exploratory conversations about that. I was part of the research team at the Dialogue Project at MIT, where we did a lot of the original research on this. And I actually think that dialogue and, if we want to call it, authentic conversation rather than chit-chat. Real conversation about questions that matter. To me, they are synonymous in that way because it has to do with a flow of meaning. And if you ask people, you know, when have they had the experience of a real learning conversation in their life where something new emerged, they'll describe to you the same qualities that those who are kind of focused on the framing of this work as dialogue would also give to you. So uh, for us, the whole idea of conversations or conversations that matter, you know, encompasses that idea, and we feel that in a way that simple phrasing allows it to reach a broader constituency, let's say. You know, people from all walks of life know what a good conversation is. And sometimes they feel like, oh, a dialogue, that's something, like, really special. Oh, interesting, you know?
1: yeah. So. Well, when is it in your life that you decided that conversations mattered?
2: Ah. <laughs> well, you know, I grew up in a household where conversations mattered. Um, my family was very active in, uh, in social action and social change kinds of activities. So I remember growing up, you know with these conversations late into the night in my parents living room with my dad falling asleep behind the couch <laughs> because you know we would be i could I, and i would just kind of hide in the background watching and listening mm-hmm. you know to what seemed like such important kinds of questions that were being explored
1: well, what kinds of conversations were happening
2: well, they were happening about social justice and civil rights. My parents mm. were helped helped to found the the American Civil Liberties Union in Florida really? and were very active in the civil rights move movement and so um you know, and in kind of progressive, socially-minded things at that time. Mm. And then when I went to live in Mexico, my adopted grandmother founded an institute for dialogue and social action around the environment in terms of saving the Lacandon rainforest, which really? is at, was at that time the largest remaining rainforest in the Americas. And so her long dining room table became a place where those kinds of conversations happened, and then in the library, in front of the fire. Mm. You know, so I think maybe I come from a legacy of that, even though I had never really thought about it in that way.
1: Isn't that interesting how things in our lives that we experience as children become imprints, and whether or not we're conscious of it, you know, we carry that into our adulthood, and it shows up in our work or our way of being in the world.
2: Well, I think it was also the house meetings in the farm workers' movement. You know, during the 60s, I also worked for a number of years with Cesar Chavez and the farm workers' movement. Mm. And that whole social movement was organized around the idea of small conversations in people's living rooms. And when we discovered the pattern of the World Cafe, you know, this idea of carrying ideas from one conversation to the other... One of my big illuminations was, oh, my gosh, this is the same pattern by which large-scale social change has always happened. Uh I'm in a conversation with you, and then you, Cheryl, say, you go to dinner with four other people, and you say, you know, I was in this fascinating conversation Uh with Juanita, Uh and here's what it is. And that's how large-scale change often happens
1: Mm -hmm. through
2: these conversations
1: through these conversations and you know um, in all my years of consulting to organizations and senior executives excuse me um, I have often said the real work happens in the hallways Hallway conversations, um, not in in meeting rooms necessarily and not in formal gatherings, but what happens um, face to face um, in those moments in the hallways between these meetings that really makes a difference. And um, I think, you know, what you're saying is absolutely true. And so it's a matter of how do we take that energy and move it into the quote formal gatherings and make that okay Um, that the work is, and it looks like what you're doing is, is exactly that.
2: Well, it was fascinating to us. One of the members of our initial intellectual capital dialogue was Alan Weber, who was the founder of Fast Company Magazine, but at that time he was the editor, the managing editor of HBR, of the Harvard Business Review. Mm -hmm. And not that long thereafter, or right in that same period, he wrote an article about conversation being the most important form of work in the new economy. And think about it. How many times have we heard the phrase, stop talking and get to work? Oh, yeah. Think about it. Oh, yeah. And yet, if you want to share knowledge with people, and we're talking about, you know, creating innovation and new ideas and new possibilities, where does that come from? Only rarely, only rarely does that happen out of the mind of an individual genius.
1: Well, we are going to have to stop talking for just a moment to take a break, but we'll be right back to pick this up.
3: The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business.
0: in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time.
3: Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business.
0: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
1: We're back today uh, speaking with Juanita Brown, co-author of The World Cafe, Shaping Our Futures Through Conversations That Matter. Juanita, I want to mention that um, you co-authored this book with your partner, David Isaacs, and David is a marvelous consultant and coach um, of many leaders around the world, and he's not only your business partner, but he's your partner in life, and um, tell me what it's like to be working with your the partner, the person who you have committed your life to.
2: Do you want me to talk candidly? Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Oh, it's wonderful. Well, David and I are wonderful
1: co-hosts together. I've had that experience. Yeah, uh,
2: we think very differently. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: You know, our, our mind processes, the way we process information. Is, is quite different from each other. And in some situations, that's extremely complementary and wonderful. Right. And in other situations, it's stressful. <laughs> you know, but I, I, I have tremendous respect for David because David often, and this has been the case throughout the history of the World Cafe Movement, for example, he'll come up with a seed idea. Mm -hmm. which is not fully yet formed Mm -hmm. and might not be the exact moment for that idea to flower, but that idea will end up to be a very critical factor Mm -hmm. in the future of the next stage of the work. Uh, David is amazingly intuitive. He is an affective intuitive, Mm -hmm. and he senses you know, almost like senses things before they happen, in a in a very practical way in yes. terms of his ideas. And I think that's probably what makes him such a good coach is that he has mm-hmm. this emotional uh, intelligence, yes. and he can translate that into core yes. ideas
1: yes. Yes. through he the questions that, well. that
2: he asks. Yes. That's his other great gift. Is yes. David is really amazing at crafting powerful questions, which mm-hmm. I think is very core. By the way to what we're what this work is all about in terms of conversational leadership or hosting and convening conversations that can help shape the future.
1: Right. And and so what I experience when I've been in front of you two in a world cafe is the true co-creation in the moment of the process. And so, yes, there is a structure around the World Cafe conversation process, and what I've experienced is um, a a almost in front of the group um, a conversation that you would have together, you and David together, that would then something different would emerge or something that would shift in the room um, based on the dialogue that you two are having or the feedback that the group is putting forth. And that in itself, I think, is amazing modeling uh, because that, again, doesn't often happen when you've got two people or sometimes more um, guiding or leading a large gathering. Um, There's a fear of letting that be seen. There's a fear that it will make someone look like, well, we don't really know what we're doing. We're just kind of like winging it here, and it doesn't look like that at all. And yet, I think that's that's somehow um, it's it's a downfall of some of the consulting profession. I think.
2: Well, I feel very blessed in my collaboration with David and with other cafe hosts because we try to host. Usually, we try to host as partners, yeah, rather than alone only because it, it also models the kind of collective leadership yeah. that we're hoping is going to be happening more and more in organizations and in our lives generally mm-hmm. in terms of evoking collective intelligence. So mm-hmm. that kind of open conversation... Mm-hmm as we unfold the process with a group, even though it does have very clear design principles, um, I think is a very helpful thing and very liberating for a group rather than constraining
1: to it. Yes, I agree. And one piece of that I think is important because um, there are times when we have seen people um, as co-leaders of large gatherings have dialogue in front of the group Um, and still not be willing to disagree with one another. And yet I've seen that also occur in a way that is completely honoring of the other um, between you and David and um, between you and other um, World Cafe hosts and facilitators. I love the word host. Is there a particular reason why you chose that? Yes, there really
2: is. We've been extremely intentional about that.
1: Think about
2: when you're... Having a party. I love parties. What is the job of... Right. What is the job of the host? The host creates, really, a hospitable space, a welcoming environment. The host helps to kind of create the context, you know, of why we're here. The host issues the invitation, you know, in terms of people coming to join the gathering. The host will oftentimes kind of introduce people to each other mm-hmm. as the meet, as the meeting or the gathering is happening. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's a social gathering, and. Because in the World Cafe, it is self-facilitated. In other words, at the table, there are not formal facilitators. Right. Facilitation, while I think it's extremely useful in many situations, is not the core image that we wanted to actually embrace as we took the World Cafe forward. Mm-hmm. Because we really do think that hosting and convening conversations that matter is going to be a key leadership capacity Mm -hmm. for the future, Mm -hmm. and we wanted to model that kind of leadership rather than what many people, particularly in our field as consultants, Mm -hmm. associate with facilitation. Mm -hmm. And so because of the traditional associations with facilitation, we thought that by creating more of a conversational association, you know, when you go to a social gathering that People are in conversation with each other, they're social with each other, they're informal with each other, and a host enables all of that to happen. It helps people be intimate when they choose to be, you know, at whatever level they choose to share with each other in a social gathering. And the host, and think about the salons, for example, where so many of the new ideas historically you know, when you think about the French salons or the French Revolution, mm, you know, or right. the art salons, well, those weren't facilitators. Right. They were hosts yeah. or hostesses, you right. know. And so it's in that spirit, I guess I would say, you know, in the spirit of bringing together diverse perspectives mm. for new ideas to reveal themselves.
1: You know, it makes me think about um, not only the salons, but... Really rich dinner parties. You know, when you invite an eclectic group of people together, and the evening is magical. um, And because what happens there is an understanding of one another that would not have been able to happen if it had been a formal meeting of some sort. I just think that it's so powerful. I've also seen the process um where it hasn't worked so well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And those the times that I've seen that happen, um what I experience and what I what I've heard other people say they experience is they haven't been given enough direction and at, up front. And which I find um Kind of interesting because part of this process is not to have a lot of direction. Um, and yet, I think that it compromises the process if there isn't enough um, of a foundation. And so is there a way to make sure that happens? Because we are often faced with time constraints, limited amount of time where this a group can be together. Um, is there a way to provide this to make sure that the richness occurs and um, that there then at the end there is the opportunity to really look at what happened here? Because I think that's also a key part, and very often the times that I've seen it not work so well that has been omitted um, you know I mean what can we do about things like that right. to maintain the integrity that's a wonderful question and it actually
2: leads me to kind of reflect on the idea of the of the set of design principles mm. that we've discovered mm-hmm. are really really important to use as a set mm-hmm. not individually in order for the total experience to have what you called earlier the magic. Mm. We call it the magic in the middle. Ah. That was the name that Finn Voltofte, who was a Danish colleague of ours who was in that very first cafe, coined for what we experienced there, right? right. And so the first the very first principle of design for Nurturing the conditions where the magic in the middle is more likely to occur. Of course, you can't ever guarantee it. Right. Is to set the context.
1: And, and so give me an example of setting the context. Maybe one of your clients or some some situation you've been in.
2: Well, it's to clarify what is the purpose of our being here together. Mm-hmm. And also, there's a lot of work that goes in advance of a cafe to make a cafe really the most fruitful that it can be for whatever particular purpose you're designing for. So the other critical aspect in terms of right in the beginning of a cafe, for the host to be able to shape what is the purpose for which we're here, even though we don't know the outcomes, we do have an intention for being here also clarifying the very basics about cafe etiquette which in the book the, those are you know easily available for folks and i know many people who listen to your program do facilitation or are in the cons- in the consulting world so that these will be quite familiar some of these to to that constituency right. of your listenership but another very important and critical aspect for a cafe to go well, is for the questions that are framed in the cafe to actually be questions that really are core to that group's work, whatever it is. Right. So I think oftentimes cafes go poorly when either you haven't set the clarity enough about the context, what's the purpose for which we're here, what's a bit about the background of how, why we are here together, mm. and enough about the, the etiquette, the very basic um, sort of guidance for having a fruitful cafe conversation and the quality of the questions
1: quality of questions that's so key i mean it's key in any conversation and very often i find that that questions are not even asked in organizations there's a lot of talking to and a lot of information giving but not questions being asked and pondered and reflected upon and i want to talk more about this when we come back right after this break
3: Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? How can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The winner's attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The winner's attitude. Switch me on.
3: Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news, solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at VoiceAmerica.com.
0: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl.
1: We're back with Juanita Brown today, co-author of The World Cafe, Shaping Our Futures Through Conversations That Matter. Juanita, you work with large organizations, profit and nonprofit, profit internationally, um, and you, your experiences are extraordinary. I love some of your stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and just before break, we were talking about the questions being framed in conversations and, and how important the integrity of the questions are. Um, and often I don't see that happening uh, in organizations, not even being asked, much less looked at and reflected upon. Could you talk a little bit about that?
2: Well, you know, oftentimes leaders say, don't give me the question, give me the answer. Yes. You know, and that's sort of like stop talking and get to work. Yes. In terms of a showstopper around right. collective intelligence. Because if you really think about it, paths forward, whether they're in science or any other area, are actually the responses to compelling questions that people didn't have an answer to. Mm. I mean, I love the, uh, the work of Marilee Goldberg. She wrote a book called The Art of the Question. Mm. And she has a quote that I think is so wonderful. She says, Because questions are intrinsically related to action, they spark and direct attention, perception, energy, and effort. Creativity requires asking genuine questions, those to which an answer is not already known. Questions function as an open-handed invitation to creativity, calling forth that which does not yet exist.
1: Oh, beautiful.
2: And um, I think, actually the gold lies in discovering the big questions mm-hmm. and i actually learned that from a corporate leader mm-hmm. who i he had this amazing quality of being able to sense and also frame the next strategic direction and he used to get quite impatient you know with his people because like why can't they get it and i sat him down actually for three days, two and a half days, to actually really understand how he thought about strategy. And what was the most fascinating thing about it was the, the logic that he built. And the whole thing was built around discovering the big questions. Mm. It was him who first said, you know, the gold is not in the big answers alone. The real gold is in finding the big questions. And so how do you do, if you're developing strategy, for example, enough and the type of situation analysis that allows you to really discover the critical issues transformed into questions, not into problems. Mm -hmm. Big difference between solving problems and exploring questions, which then leads you to possibility
1: Rather That's than really fascinating because, you know, during the entire um, quality movement in organizations, continuous process improvement and quality improvement and Six Sigma and etc., which many of the organizational leaders listening to this have participated in, um, the whole concept was to get clear on the problem you're trying to solve. And it was not really about exploring questions it was about getting language that you could attach measurement to and, and you know there's something wrong with measurement and what i found was very often in situations the organization or the teams that were assigned to work on specific quote problems would would define the problem they would then start looking at components of the problem and then start looking at improvements to what that was And what wasn't being asked was, should we be doing this at all? Is this a problem we should be solving, or should we be looking at different and new innovative ways of getting done what we want to be getting done?
2: Well, I think you just said something really important there. There are some things that are, in fact, problems to be fixed, you know. But when you're trying to discover what's better than fixing the problem, yeah and you're trying to, particularly if you're trying to think either think strategically or think innovatively, you know, you're yeah. trying to create the new, then the ways that are time tested and proven, which work very well to fix certain kinds of delineated problems, are actually inadequate and inappropriate to do these other kinds of tasks. And I think it's really only a question of hammers and nails, you know. Do you use the same hammer? What is it? Do you use the same hammer to fix everything, or
1: you know? I know what you mean. <laughs> I don't know. What I it don't is. think I could quote it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know exactly what that statement is,
2: but everyone listening will know what it is. Right.
1: <laughs> um, and and so I'm wondering then about a larger question, which is, you know, our current economic system, which drives organizational strategies. Which then drives the actions and behaviors that go on in organizations, creating the culture, which may may not be creating a culture of conversational leadership. Um, does can we do this with our current economic system? Will the um, stockholders and the value of the business and the pressure from board of directors, etc for performance goals and results will that allow this kind of process to exist in our organizations? Well, I believe
2: actually that it's the it, to be honest it's actually our only hope mm. because if the future of today's organizations are going to depend on innovation, on new product ideas, mm-hmm. on um, on thinking truly, thinking strategically in an environment of uncertainty, mm-hmm. then w- what we teach in our business schools and what leaders are going to need be- to be responsible for in the future is being able to host and convene the processes that evoke collective intelligence in the organization. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think organizations have a choice about that. They are not going to survive in general, Mm -hmm. you know, or certainly not thrive without Mm -hmm. much more capacity in this arena. I mean, this is not an esoteric California thing. (laughs) I mean, this is a very pragmatic need. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I just think that many of our organizations, you know, are sort of stuck in the mindsets of the past. Mm -hmm. But truly, if we're consulting to organizations about thriving in the future, Mm -hmm. it's these kinds of ideas, however they're framed, that have to do with truly being able to frame and engage strategic conversations, bring together diverse perspectives so that we can you know, get new connections that will reveal the new, et cetera. I mean, and there's a lot of work and research on this now. Mm -hmm. So I think forward-looking leaders are, I mean, I think that's why the World Cafe is exploding all over the world. Not that it's the panacea by any means. You know, it's one doorway among many wonderful Mm -hmm. ways of working. So I'm not sort of the advocate, you know, the world cafe lady in that sense. But but I do think that whatever the doorways, th- it's these pathways that are going to lead us into a sustainable future, mm-hmm. uh, I- including in conventional organizations,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. you know, that are not social oriented. Yes, yes,
1: yes, yes. Um, So I know you have some examples of organizations um, that you've worked with that have made major culture shifts using some of this process, or using this process in whole, um, in some of the areas of their organizations. Um, Are you able to share any of that? Well, there are a number
2: of stories actually throughout the book. Each chapter opens with one or more stories of where the World Cafe has made a great contribution to a significant. Shift in the organization. Mm-hmm. One corporate example I, w- I would give is not actually one that I did myself, but I think uh-huh. it's a wonderful example. Mm-hmm. Is in Hewlett Packard. I'm sharing it because it's very um, you know grounded and pragmatic in, yeah. in the way we were just talking about, where they had a tremendous safety problem, and Bob Veazey started a whole series, a web of conversations, throughout their affiliates all over. Um, the world actually, mm. and were able to reduce the accident rate, you know, from something like 6.0 down to 0.10. I mean, you'll have to, I don't have the numbers right in uh-huh. front of me, but it was uh-huh. really dramatic uh, in terms of what they did. And so I think that's the kind of thing. There are also stories in the book about Santa Fe pharmaceuticals. About the Museum of Science and Industry in Florida, where they've been using the World Cafe over an extended period in terms of their, I'm now being very grounded in terms of their budgeting process, you know, and yes, new yes, ideas yes. For, for budgeting and that kind of thing, um, to improving teachers' scores um in terms of teacher leadership in the Polk County school systems. So I think, that, you know, we're seeing very um, pragmatic uses of modalities like the World Cafe, and I've quoted World, World Cafe examples because we're focused on that, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, where conversational leadership of this type mm-hmm. is being utilized to basically engage the collective intelligence of mm-hmm. the organization mm-hmm. for valued outcomes, whatever they do, be, you know, mm-hmm. to produce both business and social value. I don't mm-hmm. think it gets more practical than this kind of work, to be honest.
1: Mm-hmm. I really do. Well, it's interesting because <laughs> what you are saying, um, again, I can go back to, Organizations that have been in implementing um, Six Sigma and Lean and continuous improvement and quality improvement, um, quality management, these are the kinds of results they're looking for. And yet, this key critical piece around the conversation has not always been part of their process. Well, I think it's very
2: fascinating that you mention that because one of the biggest and longest term users of the World Cafe is the American Society for Quality, (coughs) Paul Borosky, because what they are doing is beginning to redefine the meaning of quality.
1: Oh, interesting. Interesting.
2: So I, I think, and that's to me one of the most interesting stories in the book,
1: oh, actually. Oh, well, we'll have to make sure everybody reads that one. I want to talk, um, we have to go to break right now, but I want to, when we come back, I want to talk about the qualities of a leader who engages conversational leadership. We'll be back with Juanita Brown right after this.
3: More and more people are starting their day with informative, focused business talk. Top experts. Today's business issues. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com.
0: consulting developing leaders worldwide tune in every tuesday at 8 a.m pacific time for the growth strategist with aldona ambler on the show aldona and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you the business owner back aldona will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies grow smart grow profit And grow your business with Aldana Ambler and the Grow Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Diversity Matters is a forum for lively conversation about diversity and inclusiveness. Co-hosts and diversity consultants Richard Friend and Judy Seidenstein have mastered the art of taking issues seriously without losing a sense of humor, perspective, and grace. Broadcasting every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel, Diversity Matters with Richard and Judy. Engage others in celebrating people's similarities, differences, and interdependence. Through conversation with a wide range of key thought leaders and practitioners in the field, the show provides cutting-edge ideas, resources, and tools that enable people and organizations to leverage diversity and inclusiveness for high performance. Diversity Matters, a fresh and in-depth look at people at work
3: business information you need from the stock market to starting and managing your business. Voice America Business at VoiceAmerica.com
0: We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790 That's 1-866-472-5790 Now back to your host, Cheryl
1: Welcome back to our own World Cafe on Leading Conversations today with Juanita Brown, author of The World Cafe, Shaping Our Futures Through Conversations That Matter. Juanita, there are, there have to be specific traits, characteristics, behavior, skills, um, but it seems to go more than that, deeper than that, around for leaders who practice conversational leadership. Um, I, I, the kind of coaching that I do and I know some of the coaching that you do of leaders takes them very deep into discovering the core of who they are and their own integrity. So then they can come forward and be a really strong leader, be the kind of leader that um, people can trust and believe in. And you don't learn that sitting in a classroom at Harvard Business School or sitting in a classroom um, learning leadership, quote, management techniques. Um, And so what are the characteristics or the traits that are necessary for a leader to be successful with conversational leadership?
2: I think I'd like to address that not so much from the qualities of you know like the personal qualities of authenticity uh-huh. you know that range of things uh-huh. because i think that's been discussed quite a bit but i in this field but what i would love to do would be to actually frame what i think are some of the core let's call it skills or areas mm-hmm. of focus for a conversational leader, which are quite different than what we might think of in normal leadership. Okay. Um, and one of those would be the capacity to both frame and work with strategic questions, mastering the art and architecture of powerful questions mm. that actually can evoke knowledge sharing you know, and invite committed action. Mm. I think that's a critical personal leadership skill for leaders in this evolving way that we're talking about. I also think, and it involves a skill and it also involves personal qualities, of convening and hosting learning conversations. Mm-hmm. I think that's one very core aspect of the new work of leadership because they're going to be involved in new situations that they've never confronted before. Right. And they constantly are. Mm -hmm. So how can you host and convene? Of course, World Cafe and dialogue modalities are one way. But really, how can you host and convene authentic conversation that deepens a group's thinking and actually evokes collaborative intelligence? Mm -hmm. That's not as likely to occur in a climate where you've got fear, mistrust, hierarchical control, etc. So to me, that's another kind of skill. And another is fostering shared understanding. And that's what I, would, I think of as conceptual leadership. How do you create the shared context and common frameworks in which a group can deepen or shift their thinking together? The use of stories, the images, the metaphors that an organization uses. For example, if a leader is using the image of the organization as a battlefield, where their members are carrying out preemptive strikes and decimating Mm -hmm. the competition. You know, it's a very different frame of reference than uh, the organization being part of a living system that includes their key internal and external stakeholders, Mm -hmm. sometimes those they've thought of as competition, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I actually think that a very traditional way that most leaders think about learning and development is something that would that would is going to need to shift in such a way that more focus is on is on collaborative learning right. rather than expert telling and selling, you know, right. or expert traditional teach classroom teaching. Right. We're really the the knowledge that exists, for example, in the informal social networks of the organization, the communities of practice, mm. how does a leader tap into that, which we now know from the research is where a lot of the new knowledge gets generated in an organization? Mm. You know, and so, and, and another, I think, and maybe this is actually in the personal quality area, although it's also a discipline, is supporting appreciative inquiry. It's a pre- appreciative process. Mm-hmm. You know, how do can a leader really learn to ask the questions that help an organization see itself at its best? Because the future, at its best, is always being lived somewhere. It's just not always being lived everywhere. Mm-hmm. And how can mm-hmm. leaders, by actually fostering processes that enable people to really tap previously untapped sources of its own vitality, even in the worst performing organizations? Yes, there yes. are many things that are going well. Mm-hmm. Well, what are the principles of that? Mm-hmm. And how can a leader evoke those principles so that those principles can be applied in different situations? Mm-hmm. And the last thing I would say is invite diverse perspectives. Mm. How many times do you, do you hear a leader really pose the question, who else needs to be included in this conversation? Yeah. Who's not here? Who should be? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: that is a big source of collective intelligence.
1: Right, right. That's fascinating. And all of these, I I believe these capacities are definitely a shift from where we've been for the last 20 years around um, the development of leadership. And also, do require uh, a real sense of self. Do require a real, in that leader, a real capacity to hold um, uncertainty, to invite what um, May not be comfortable, and to support people not knowing, which is very different from most cultures today in organizations.
2: I completely agree with that, and yeah. and I think that the leader's capacity in terms of his or her own authenticity. Integrity and values mm. is what actually becomes central to establishing their own credibility as a legitimate host and convener yes. Yes. who inspires that trust and fosters collaboration among very diverse perspectives to try f- to make the new more available.
1: Yes. Well, I want to um, share a quote that Peter Senge wrote um, in your book about the World Cafe because it's, it's a beautiful compliment. Peter says that the World Cafe is not a technique. It is an invitation into a way of being with one another that is already part of our nature. You know, I think that says it all. Mm. I believe that, you know, what he's saying here is that you have captured it. You really have captured a way for people to apply authenticity to bring their whole self to the table and to then have extraordinary results that are measurable. Yes, that's true. Peter has been a
2: wonderful collaborator in this work over many years, so we're very grateful for his support and thoughtfulness.
1: Well, Juanita, this has been a delightful conversation, and I'm very surprised to say we're coming to a close. Our hour is up. And um, I would like to thank you so much for being here today and for being willing to share with us um, such rich and deep thinking around what is next, what can be possible in organizations and in individuals and leaders moving forward. And um, I would like to remind people that they can buy your book, The World Cafe, Shaping Our Futures Through Conversations That Matter. And if people would like to know more about The World Cafe, what is the website? The website is www.theworldcafe.com. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you, Juanita Brown. It is a gift to have you here today. Um, Please pass on my hellos and regards to David. I certainly will. um, I hope you enjoy your time there with your family and the rest of the days of summer in the mountains of North Carolina. And uh, look forward to having you back again to tell us more about what's going on with conversational leadership in the world, again on another Leading Conversations program. This is Cheryl Esposito. and I'd like to remind all of you to think big because the world could become a better place because of a conversation that matters.